Hi, this is Tiffany and you are listening to Tea Stained Pages. Before we start this episode, I want to flag that the book contains incest, sexual assault and abuse. So if these are sensitive topics and you aren't in a good headspace at the moment, I would strongly encourage you to stop the episode here. I'll be back with another book, hopefully a lighter one in January and... If it's something that you know you don't want to deal with now, but it might be some, but it's a book that interests you, this episode will be up forever, basically, or like as long as the internet exists. So you can always come back to it. So the book that I'm doing this month, as you can see from the title, is Earthlings by Sayaka Murata. What happens when you do all you can to fit into society only for it to reject you? Earthlings is Sayaka Murata's second book that has been translated into English by Jinny Taple Takemori. Despite being only her second book translated to English, Murata herself has actually written 11 novels and has been awarded Japan's most prestigious literary award, the Akutagawa Prize, in 2016. In that same year, she was also named Vogue Japan's Woman of the Year, which is not surprising, it is noted that Murata's novels are not particularly popular with the older generations in Japan, but she is extremely popular with young women as she tells stories of women who either don't conform to society or struggle to conform to society. I practically read this book in one sitting. I started late at night, finished the first chapter, went to sleep, did the things I needed to do during the day, and then I spent the whole night with the book and finished it at 2am so nothing like a good reading session and nothing like a book that will help you binge and keep you entertained for that whole reading session and after reading the end of it i texted my friend at 2am and was like how the hell am i supposed to sleep after the ending which this is one of those books that you should go into with like knowing as little about the book as possible especially regarding the ending so If you haven't read the book and you want to read the book and you want the full experience of the book, I'd also suggest stopping the podcast episode now because I think I'm going to spoil it. So that's something to watch out for. And I warned you, so you can't say I didn't. I was also particularly excited for Earthlings because I read Murata's The Convenience Store Women as an advanced review copy. And I really enjoyed that one. So when Earthlings was published, I was like, I... I need to get the book. Usually I wait for the library to get the book, but this one I bought. I was just like, it's it's Sayaka Murata. I have full faith in her. I am confident she will not disappoint me and drop the money on the book. For the tea, I chose a soba cha tea. It's grown in the Nagano prefecture. So it's a nod to Natsuki's family, our main protagonist. And it's a nod to her family home. And it's where she eventually goes to to escape. I was actually trying to figure out if there was a tea that they specifically drink or serve during Obon because the first part of the book is set around Obon and Natsuki returning to Nagano to pay respects to her ancestors. But I couldn't find anything about like what they particularly drank during Obon. It was kind of more like this is what they do, which was weird because I feel like surely if it's a festival, they must have like certain foods and certain drinks that go with it. Maybe I just didn't dig far enough. My best guess was that the tea that they serve during Urban and with their food is probably just barley tea. 
but that's widely consumed throughout the year. It's not specific to Urban itself. So I decided to go with a tea grown in that region instead. Moving on to cultural context. So in the book, Natsuki, our main protagonist, travels to Akishina every year to her grandmother's home to celebrate Urban, which is a festival where families will travel to kind of like where their families are based to their ancestral home in order to pay respects to their ancestors. It is one of the three big festivals celebrated in Japan, so families will reunite on this holiday, clean the graves, make their offerings and light lanterns to help their ancestors find their way home. At the beginning of the book, we find out that Natsuki believes she has magical powers and that allows her to communicate with Piyut, her little hedgehog soft toy. And Piyut gives her magical powers, like the ability to hover over her own body, which we later learn is more of a dissociation to protect herself. And similarly, Yu, Natsuki's cousin, who she sees every year at Obon, experiences years of verbal abuse by his mother, who calls him an alien and believes he is from the same planet as Piyut, and together the two form a pact to get married. It's all standard play and make-believe for children until it's not. The beginning of the novel is deceptively sweet, like you... Because everything is seen from Natsuki's perspective, right? And she's a young girl at that point. So you kind of see trickles of like, oh, this isn't exactly a happy girl. But her fancies and the way she talks to her stuffed toys and believes that her stuffed toys are alive, that's part of a child's imagination. It's nothing, like nothing is flagged as terribly wrong. You get this undercurrent of like, okay, maybe her mom and her sister isn't the nicest to her. And her father seems a little, like, detached from the family and from her. But otherwise, you kind of, like, think that she has a relatively normal childhood. And then you discover later on that she really doesn't. And I think, like, it's really interesting because at the beginning of the book, I was like, oh, this is a rather sweet book. It's about a girl who goes home and she gets to celebrate Obon with her family. She loves her grandmother's place. It looks like nothing could go wrong or should go wrong. And you don't get a sense that something is wrong until we see Natsuki being neglected by her mother or being bullied by her older sister. And things take a really dark turn really quickly. Natsuki is verbally and physically abused by her mother and her sister. Her father is absent. At cram school, she is sexually assaulted by her teacher. Natsuki knows something is wrong, but all her friends gush about how handsome the cram school teacher is. And he's in uni, so he's young, but like old for a kid, like, you know, like relatively young. He's like in his 20s, I'm guessing. And so she thinks that maybe I'm misinterpreting his actions because this teacher is so widely loved by everyone. The parents love him, the students love him. The other teachers love him, and she's the only one who is uneasy about him because of what he does to her. After all, he goes to university, he's well respected, but she knows that something is wrong and she says it's really hard to put into words things that are just a little bit not okay. And you I feel like you really sympathize with her because oftentimes we let things slip because we're like, 
it's not that bad yet or like it's not something that is so bad that I can make a fuss about it and I think that is exactly how Natsuki felt even though as readers especially as probably more mature and older readers than her we know that it is something that she should have reported and something that she should have talked to someone about. I think the most horrifying thing within this whole episode is that Natsuki tries to tell her mother and her mother's reaction was just horrifying. Like this is a young girl who goes to her mother to try and get help and instead her mother hits her and berates her for being lazy, tells her that she has a dirty mind for imagining that her teacher would do something like that to her instead of believing her. I think she tries several times later on as well when she has become an adult to tell her friends about what happened to her but they would pity the teacher instead because she later tells him that he has actually died so they're like oh well he's died so maybe you should just leave it be maybe it isn't such a big deal and it's like yeah, he's died, but she continues to carry the burden and the scars of it. And there was also a friend who was like, oh, well, he only touched you, so he didn't go all the way, so it really wasn't that bad. And it's like... <sighs> and that goes to what... I think that shows a lot about not Japanese culture itself, but societal culture when women are sexually assaulted like even women themselves don't believe other women or they're like oh it's not that bad and it's terrible like your first reaction when a victim of sexual assault or sexual abuse goes to you is to believe them because no one else does so you should be the person, especially as their friend or their family member or just someone who's close to them, someone that they have obviously thought that they could trust and they could tell you things. Your first thing to do is to believe them and support them, not question them and write them off. Um, there were some criticisms about the book where they were talking about how Everyone that Natsuki meets dishes out some sort of abuse towards her and people critiqued it because they thought that it was a quick and lazy way for Murata to establish trauma and then launch into a plot. But I didn't think of it that way. I actually thought that, okay, maybe every single person or every single character that Natsuki meets does dish some kind of abuse and maybe for every single person to do that might seem a little too mm, convenient but I think Murata chose issues that are pertinent in contemporary Japan. Sure it might not have happened in such quick succession in real life but I think it provided a way for Murata to deliver her observations and critique society. I don't think she threw anything in there that was for a shock value. As like maybe the ending, the ending had a bit of a shock value to it. But in terms of like the abuse and the challenges that Natsuki faces, I don't think anything was thrown in for a shock value. I think all of those things were things that do happen in reality. And it is things that even like Western society has not addressed. 
and then Japanese society, which is a lot more conservative in some ways, also would be hesitant to address things like that. Murata addresses things like conformity, reproduction, and sexuality in Japan. So in one of the reviews, they were saying that Murata hammers home her message, what most people consider ordinary often isn't remotely acceptable or normal. Also, society, Natsuki refers to society as the factory, which really sums up their attitudes and the way that she sees it. And you can't blame her for it either. Like, you look at all the abuse that she has lived through and all the abuse that she has tried to tell other people about only for them to write it off and be like, it's not that bad. Or like, you know, you should just get over it. Or like, her getting blamed for what happened to her. Like, how can you how can you blame a 10-year-old for something that a 20-something-year-old did to them that just doesn't make any sense? And so, like, you look at all of these circumstances and you understand and you know why she chooses to detach herself from it. But Natsuki is complicated. She has detached herself and dissociated herself from the factory, from society. But she also craves the normality of fitting in and living within it. More than anything else, Natsuki wishes that she was perfectly normal and perfectly average. She wishes that... She could feel things that she can fit in, that she can have close friendships. But her abuse and her trauma, which she never got to work through, forbids her from doing that. Like, if Natsuki could buy into what society considers normal and successful, she would. Like, during the whole book, we see that she studies hard, she marries, although it's a marriage of convenience, it's sexist and businesslike, it's more like, it's more like her having a roommate, the only reason why she married was because she didn't want her parents to get worried, and she didn't want her friends to be like, why aren't you married yet, so she just found someone else who was also looking for someone to marry, simply to get people off their back, and it's a means and that marriage is a means for her and her husband to escape society's criticism. She badly wants to be someone who has a stable job and able to fulfill her role as a useful reproductive organ within the factory. She states that I have become a factory component as quickly as possible. I had to develop my brain and grow my body to help the society. I think that for Natsuki, when she was a child, adulthood and acceptance by society is a means of escaping her abusive mother and sister. It's a way of her it's a way for her to gain freedom and a better life and to no longer be vulnerable and at the mercy of others. However, when she becomes an adult, I think she realizes that Things haven't gotten any better. Sure, she's stable and she has a job, but there's no intimacy in her life. She doesn't find joy within her life. She simply exists and she kind of floats through life like that. I think reading reviews and opinions about the book has been really interesting as well. Earthlings is hard to categorize into a genre that is any more specific than fiction. The Atlantic called Earthlings a dystopian novel, which I don't think is quite accurate because dystopian kind of implies the book is set in an alternate world or an alternate universe or like a world that is so many years into a future that it's 
not really that recognizable by our standards anymore. But Earthlings is very firmly set in contemporary Japan as we know it, so I kind of disagree with that categorization. A review on Goodreads called it an anti-Bildungsroman novel, so the formative years of life, which is usually seen as like, I think, childhood and the teenage years, like what Bildungsromans explore. But in Earthlings, we go from when Natsuki is 11 years old, and it skips all the way to when she was 34 years old. So those formative years are like, Actually, I wonder how Japan looks at it, because I know for a Western culture and Western society, they're always like, your 20s are like the most exciting part of your life. And then they say that like when you turn 30 or 40 or 50, you're just going to be like bored and nothing's going to happen to you, which is utterly not true. As a society, we should stop romanticizing that your life is over by the time you hit 30 or 40. When we live, then we have the potential to live up to like, what, 100 years old? That's bullshit. Anyways, so it skips all of her like formative teenage and early 20s to when she's 34. So we miss the moments which the society deems our most formative years. And maybe because for Natsuki, by the time she was 11, she had so many traumatic events happen to her that that is literally her formative years and not much is going to shock her or change her in the next 23 years until we see her again. So despite moving forward 23 years, Natsuki does not seem like she has changed either. Sure, she's married, but... So she's married her husband for convenience, right? Natsuki refers to her husband, but hardly ever by his name, which is also why I can't remember this. Oh, it's Tomoya. Tomoya. But I thought it was really interesting that she was always like, my husband this, my husband that, never like, Tomoya did this, Tomoya did that. And I think it's really interesting because that means that as readers, we only know him through his relationship with Natsuki rather than him as a person. Because by saying like, my husband, we kind of associate him with her. Whereas if she said Tomoya, we would see him as a separate individual person. And I wonder if that is how Natsuki sees the rest of the world. She sees all of it in relation to her, but not really in relation to other people as well. Even though she does think about other people and she does care about other people, I think it's like because of her trauma, because of the abuse that she's lived through, she's kind of dissociated herself from the world so that it's kind of like if I'm not in the world and the world can't touch me, then I can't get hurt by it. But at the same time, you can't get joy and happiness from it. I think, and I think it was really interesting as well, because like in several reviews, like I read, because I do a bunch of research and then I read through a whole bunch of reviews just to see like how my opinion kind of stacks up against other people's and to like see if anyone's picked up stuff that maybe I haven't. And it was really interesting as well because none of the reviews really call Natsuki an unreliable narrator. And I think that's so weird because Natsuki undeniably is an unreliable narrator. Not so much in the way she conveys situations, I think, but in the tones that she uses. So I think the tone of the novel is really interesting because towards the beginning, it felt like Natsuki was the only real person in the world. And maybe alongside you, 
fat characters like her mother, her sister, her father, or like her friends, they all kind of felt like simulations to me. It's not that they were stereotypical or they weren't well developed. I think as characters, they actually held up quite well on themselves. But I felt like if Natsuki wasn't interacting with them, they simply wouldn't exist. Like, I don't know how to describe it. There's something about the way that Murata has written all the other characters where it feels like they exist to interact with Natsuki and then the moment Natsuki like turns her head away, they disappear. But if she turns her head back, they appear again. That kind of, that kind of feeling. Does that, does that make sense? That's probably sounds so weird. But like, yeah, that was how it felt like. And at a certain point, it also felt that way for like the life that she has lived so far and the traumas that she has survived. Like she is so detached from it all. And that's conveyed through the tone it's written, which is actually, it's kind of perfect because Natsuki is an unreliable narrator and how she perceives the world and herself as separate is probably one of the coping mechanisms from all of her childhood trauma. I don't know, I just had like, had a lot of thoughts about the book and then the ending was really interesting. I think you don't see the ending coming at all for me. It was like, before I got the book, I did kind of like skim through several reviews and all the reviews were like, the ending, my god. And I was like, oh, okay, so I should watch out for the ending. And I did. And, mmm... Mm. You guys should just read the book. I actually don't really know what to say about the ending. It's kind of ambiguous. It's kind of not. I think that as a book, uh, Things was a really interesting look at, I guess, society and the effects that society can have on an individual person and how an individual person then continues to try and live and to deal with all of the horrible experiences they receive from society and the constant undermining of them when they try to open up and talk to other people. Because there's several instances within the book where I'm like, oh man, if if that person had just stopped to listen to Natsuki or had just stopped to look at it from her perspective and like empathize with her and listen to her. I think that would have been enough. Oh, there was also a quote I remember that if the convenience store woman was about doing everything you could as a person who doesn't fit into society to find your place within society, Earthlings is about rejecting all of society so that you can be yourself. And I think that was really interesting. So undoubtedly, Sayaka Murata is definitely one of those authors that I'll be keeping a lookout for. And I will be very, very excited when her next translated novel comes out. Sometimes I think it's really sad that, like, as a reader, that I don't know how to read or speak many languages because you got to wait for a translation to come out. And then sometimes I'm always like, if I could read fluently in two languages, I would totally read an English translation and then read the original language and then compare them just to see what the difference is. Because there has to be differences. Like there must be different metaphors used or like different ways of phrasing things that would work better in the original language that might not translate to English. But anyway, that was that was a ramble. So Sayaka Murata, 
I will be keeping a lookout for her. My favorite quote from Earthlings was, I was used to three o'clock being the time for my afternoon snack. And it was weird to think that there was another three o'clock in the middle of the night. So that was Earthlings by Sayaka Mirata. I hope you enjoyed that episode. My socials are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TeaStainPod. The Facebook is still empty because I don't know what to do with it. But Twitter, I live tweet my books and my opinions as I'm reading through them. So if you ever want like real-time reactions of what I'm reading, that's what you should check out. Um, You should subscribe. You should leave a review. You should tell another book nerd about me because that will help me keep this thing going you know, it's nice to know that there are people listening to me. And thank you to Rate Bean Porridge for designing my cover. So I will see you next month with another book and another episode. Goodbye for now. See you.